You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, it's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles or your device and go to Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And last week we saw John the Baptist, this camel hair wearing locust and honey eating guy yelling out in the wilderness for people to repent and to look for the coming Messiah. And then Jesus, we see he gets baptized in the Jordan River by John and a voice thunders from heaven out in the wilderness. This, this one being baptized, this one being dunked by John, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit lands on Jesus like a dove, anointing him, showing him this is the Messiah. He's beginning his ministry. And then what do you think is the very next thing that happens? He doesn't preach. Jesus doesn't cause a revival to break out in Jerusalem. What happens next is the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness and a war breaks out. Satan, the accuser, the the devil, the tempter, does just that. For at least three rounds, Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness. And this passage matters for us today because not only does it show us how we can stand in the moments of temptation, but it also shows us why we can. Because sometimes we just think, okay, how can I make it through these, these moments of tough temptation? But more than that, we need to also know why we can. Why we can be confident that we can withstand all the flaming darts of the evil one and how we can engage in spiritual warfare. And that's what we see in Matthew 4. So as you do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin reading what Matthew tells us by the power of the Spirit in verse 1. Then Jesus, after his baptism, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give His angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him. And angels came and began to serve him. Let's pray together. Father, help us now to learn and to act on how how we can act on these truths that we see 
how we can engage in spiritual warfare and in temptations and in doubts and fears and worries that you've made a way for us. So help us, King Jesus, that we would find hope in you, the Word made flesh, hope in your body, and and help in the assembled body of Christ here together today. So help us, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was around the mid-90s, and I hadn't been a Christian for very long, but long enough to know that Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. And I knew that he loved me, and I knew that he saved me, but I remember being in elementary school and going through a night of battle, a night of doubt. I remember laying there in my bed and wondering, is God real? I knew I, should, I knew I should believe, but I was just wondering, is this all made up? I knew I wasn't an atheist, but I wanted some affirmation. I, I wanted some validation that God is real, that this is, this is all real. And as I laid there in the dark in my sheets and with a comforter decorated with all NBA team logos and jerseys, which my mother still owns, I, I looked at my ceiling fan and laid there in the dark and thought, God, if you're real, make my light come on. What do you think happened? There was a power surge and my light flashed on. No, that's not what happened. Nothing happened. I sat there in the dark, staring at my fan, disappointed. Not in God, but in me. And quickly I began to confess and to repent and ask for forgiveness. God, I remember, God, I'm sorry. I I know you're real. I I should not have done that. I was wrong. I do believe. I should not put my Lord, my God to the test. Please forgive me. And I got out of bed real quick. I walked over to my light, turned it on, turned it back off and got back in bed. My light came on. God just used me to do it. And as silly and ridiculous as that sounds, as a little boy having this elementary age dark night of the soul, I know a lot of us aren't doing that, but I think a lot of us are battling with something that's not too far off. We're tempted to think, God, if you're so good, then why am I going through this? God, if you are who you say you are, then why don't you do something about this? Why do you leave me alone to figure this out? You said you would never leave me or forsake me, and it feels like I'm alone. I thought I was supposed to be free from sin. Why why do I still struggle with this, God? And what Matthew 4 is showing us is that these kinds of temptations and accusations and assaults that come to us from the outside, this is not abnormal. This is spiritual warfare. This is the Christian life, wrestling with lies and speculations and wrestling them with truth. What we see with Jesus in Matthew 4, as he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, we see something profound to who we are. Because remember, Jesus is the eternal Son of God made man, 100% God, 100% unmarred humanity, no sin, and here he is being tempted by the devil. This reveals something about our lives. These temptations are inescapable. 
This is a part of what it means to live in a sinful world. Jesus being tempted by the devil, him being susceptible to temptations, shows us this is the human life. And it also shows us that being tempted in itself is not sinful. Or Jesus would be a sinner. Temptations that come from the outside and sinful thoughts and accusations and ideas for revenge or self-importance, they will frequently come your way. It's a part of living on this side of eternity. But there is a way to fight. And that's what we must realize before getting into these specific temptations and the schemes that Satan puts before Jesus. What the passage reminds us is that a battle rages on. We live really cushy lives and we forget we are really in a battle. Look look at verse 1. So right after the baptism... What happens? Then Jesus, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, look, to be tempted by the devil. Jesus is being led by the Spirit. He's literally walking by the Spirit. He's living by the Spirit. That is an outline of the Christian life. And we typically think if I'm living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, life should be smooth sailing. It should be easy, no hiccups, no difficulties, no problems. And the Bible says right here, that is not true. You can be led by the Spirit. You can walk by the Spirit. And you can live by the Spirit. And you can encounter intense moments and seasons of temptation. And here's Jesus attacked by Satan. Or here. You can look at verse 2. He's called, verse 3, the tempter. He's called three things in this passage. Satan, the devil, tempter. Devil is kind of like the opponent. Tempter, obvious what that means. Satan, the enemy, the accuser. Matthew's reminding us of the very real spiritual battle that rages on that we often don't see. There is a real devil a fallen angel, and he has a legion of demons roaming this world, that there are real ancient powers that fly around through the air looking to frustrate you, looking to cause you to sin, looking to cause ruin and destruction wherever they can. And there's a lot in our culture about Satan and about demons and popular TV shows about Lucifer and and, and all these kinds of things. A lot of them are, are way off. A lot of the paintings you see do not picture him as all red horns and a pitchfork and a tail that looks like you would use to poke your fireplace. There's no description of Satan like that in the scriptures. Most often when you see angels, and he is a fallen angel, when they're on earth, they have the appearance of human beings. So what we should picture is not some goblin looking like thing talking to Jesus, but a man talking to Jesus, something that looks like a man, talking to him, getting him to sin. And Paul, you know, there's a lot of songs and a lot of stuff in the culture, as I mentioned, but I think the devil went down to Georgia might be one of the best ones because it reminds us, oh, it happens here. The devil went down to Georgia, went to Houston, and he's gone down your street looking for someone to devour. As Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that, not that you can get an Awana's patch or get a gold star for memory verses, but so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. He's got schemes and plans, strategies, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other human beings, really, but against the rulers. These these are descriptions of demonic 
powers and hierarchies, rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having prepared everything to take your stand. Make your stand. Be prepared. And Paul continues. He lists truth, righteousness, holy living, the gospel of peace, faith, the truth of salvation, the Bible, the sword of the Spirit. Use these things to fight. So how is your armory? How are you fighting? Because I want you just to think for a moment. What's what's happening in Matthew 4? Satan really thinks he can trip up the Son of God. God himself. What do you think he thinks of you? He thinks he can get Jesus to trip up. What do you think he thinks about you? He thinks you are easy prey. He hates you. He will do whatever he can. He prowls like a lion hoping he can devour you hoping he can lead you into a domino effect of sin that will leave a wake of pain in your life. And while we have, beloved, we have nice, cushy 21st century lives in the suburbs of a major American city, our lives are great. They are so cushy, though, that we don't feel the heat of the fiery darts of the evil one whizzing around us as we flip through Netflix. We don't notice the landmines as we go throughout our work weeks. And we cheers and we laugh and celebrate while temptations hum through the air like B-52 bombers. Matthew 4 is opening up our eyes to see what's happening around us, what happened to Jesus and what happened for us. What happened to Jesus and what happened for us. And it begins, I think, with this, to know Satan's schemes. And his first scheme we see, his first strategy, is to twist needs and wants. To twist. All all of Satan's schemes are twists, contortions, perversions. He has nothing original. He cannot create anything original. What he does is he takes what God has made and what God has created and he perverts it and he twists it to try to get you to take the bait. Look at verse two. After Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus need. He's hungry. I want. My body wants food. I want food. I'm hungry. Verse three. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. One thing that Satan does, he makes things seem bigger than they are in the moment, or he'll make things seem smaller than they are in the moment. He'll make not important things seem important. He'll make important things seem not important. Like a fun house mirror. He can bend the temptation for the moment. And now Jesus is hungry. It's not wrong. Of course he's hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days. I'm hungry and it's only been two hours. And in this moment of need, Jesus is aware of his need. He can hear his stomach growling and Satan attacks him right there in a weakness and in a need. If you're the son of God, tell these boulders to become bread. It wouldn't be wrong for Jesus to want bread. He could go, you know, I do want bread. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to hit up some bread. Would be fine. 
But to get bread this way, this way would have been sin. And notice how Satan begins, how he begins this temptation with a word of speculation, a word of doubt. What's the first word? Look, look at your Bible. If, if you are the Son of God. I know we just heard the voice saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So if the Father's so well pleased with you, why, why isn't he feeding you? If you're the Son of God, why are you all alone in the wilderness? If you are the Son of God, why look at you? There's nothing but a bunch of rocks. You're the Son of God, right? You should have a feast. Do something about it. Boss these rocks and become bread. You're hungry. You deserve it. Do you see what he's doing? He's going after Jesus' identity and then wanting to lead him into a sinful activity. And he will do the same for you. He will either attack your identity to lead you to a sinful activity or he'll attack your identity and lead you to a, to a sinful inactivity. If you're the son of God, why is your life so terrible? Maybe God doesn't love you anymore. He's tempting Jesus to doubt the goodness and provision of his father. And listen, beloved, Jesus begins tempting us the same way. Son of God, make bread. Father won't provide for you. Father doesn't care about you. And here's how he can tempt us with our identity, our, our Christian identity, who we are. We're child of God. If you're so loved by God, why are you suffering? If you're so loved by God, why do you have cancer? If your God's a healer, why are you in this situation? If you're a child of God, then how come your life isn't as great as the coworker who doesn't give a rip about God? If you've given your life to Christ, why hasn't he just given you a spouse? Why hasn't he just given you kids yet? See, Satan wants to go after your identity. And then either some activity that either you haven't done or you have done or that even maybe God hasn't done for you and to want you to doubt the goodness of God. If your own father won't provide bread for you, Jesus, get it yourself. Carpe diem, seize the day. Do what you must. Live for you for a second. He's tempting Jesus to be self-serving. Jesus is going to do miracles for thousands of people. He will feed 20,000 people with a kid's lunch. But do you see the difference? It was for other people. It was for them. He's tempting Jesus. Jesus, just be about you for a minute. Don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength right now. Don't love your neighbor as yourself right now. Jesus, just love you right now. Take care of you right now. Do what you want. Who cares what your father wants? And he's going to tempt us the same way. Who cares what your family needs? You do you. Who cares what God's word says? You live your truth. He's tempting Jesus not to rely on his father, but to take life into his own hands. And what does Jesus do? Verse four. It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus quotes the Bible each time, and it's from Deuteronomy, each time to Satan. This is expository warfare. 
We talk about expository preaching like we're doing, going, using verses, explaining them, next one, next. Jesus says, I know how to do that. And he uses it towards Satan, saying what he's really saying to him, Satan, it may look like God's not taking care of me, but he is because I have his word. I don't have to take matters into my own hands because I depend on God. And notice he doesn't go fake spiritual. The Bible's all I need. Sometimes we feel that way, that we have to say stuff like that. No, the Bible's all I need. Bible's all I need. That's, That's not what Jesus says. He says, I need bread, but that's not the only thing I need. Man doesn't live on bread alone. You may think because I don't have bread that I'm really not living my best life now. I am because I have the word of God. I am being taken care of. You can hear the clang of the sword of the spirit when Jesus says, the Bible says. The Bible says. See, you gotta know Satan's scheme to twist and contort your needs and wants and you fight it with that steel beam of scripture. The Bible says that God is love, that God is gracious, that he is merciful, that he is kind, that he will work all things. How? I'm not called to know how he will work all things. I'm just called to know him and to know that I'm forgiven and on and on and on because Satan's next scheme is to twist truth. Just like he did in the Garden of Eden, he does it here again with the second Adam, with the Son of God. Look at verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city There, Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, it seems like some kind of vision is occurring because then he has him stand on a a mountain. You can see all the kingdoms of the world. There's no mountain big enough in Israel to do that. Um, So so he's given some kind of vision to see all these things. And there he is standing on the temple. And what does he say? Verse 6, if you're the son of God, jump. For it's written, for the Bible says. So Satan says, you want to quote Bible? I can too. The Bible says if you jump, he'll give angels to help you. They won't even let your foot strike a stone. Now, this is guy one of the more shocking and also confusing temptations we see. Jump off the temple. What can't be lost in the shuffle here, hear me, is that Satan is tempting Jesus to self-harm. He's tempting Jesus to self-harm. And there are many people in our communities and probably even here who are also tempted and afflicted with temptations of self-harm. They originate right here with the devil. Satan wants Jesus dead, not on the cross, but on the ground in front of the temple. And the devil wants you to not live crucified with Christ, but just wounded and struggling to believe the love of God. So the tempter quotes the scriptures, Basically telling Jesus, you live on every word of God, prove it, jump. The word says he'll catch you. Do you really believe the Bible? Prove it, put it to the test. And beloved, don't miss this. Satan is using the word of God to tempt the word made flesh. He is is engaging in expository warfare back. And he'll do the same to you. If you're a child of God, You can do this sin. God says he'll forgive you. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess, you just have to confess it. He'll forgive you. Who cares? If you confess your sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. So just do it. 
And then when you do sin, he comes again as the accuser and says, if you are a child of God, how could you do that? For don't you know that the Bible says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So do you see? He twists truth to suit whatever he needs it to be. This is why you must know the Bible. You must know the truth. And know the scriptures, yes, but also know the one who is the truth, who is the way, and who is the life, and the one who sets you free. So Jesus hears the scripture being twisted and thrown at him, and what does Jesus do? Look at verse 7. Jesus told him, it is also written. That's roughly translated in Greek to mean haya. Spiritual jujitsu. Nice try. Break the wrist, walk away. Break the wrist, walk away. It is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Satan, you don't understand what the scripture is about. It's also written, don't test the Lord your God. Meaning, God does not need a trial run. You just trust him. We don't have to see and discover if God is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. We trust him. And I love that Jesus is speaking out loud. This often gets lost in the passage. Speak out loud in the midst of your temptation. Say scripture out loud. Call on Christ out loud because the demons do not know what you are thinking. They can suggest things, but they don't know what you're thinking because they are not all-knowing. Only God is. So you speak out loud to them. You let them hear. You are losing ground as I quote Galatians 2, as I quote Romans 8, 1, as I quote this one and this one. You know, one time I was being significantly, significantly tempted with lust. The demons, they are great guessers. They observe us. They know what would cause us to trip, what would cause us to fall. And Natalie was out of town for a women's retreat. So there I am laying there in bed by myself in the wilderness of an empty house. And it felt like someone was speaking to me, trying to get me to rationalize why it would be okay to engage in this sin. I had blockers on my computer, so there was, that wasn't going to happen there. iPhones didn't exist yet. And our satellite was broken, and I praise God for that. And I texted friends who could hang out. Everyone was busy. So as I laid there in bed with temptations just assaulting me, all I could think to do was to, was to pray out loud, Jesus, where does my help come from? My help comes from you. You're the maker of heaven and earth. So come and help me now. Pray scripture out loud. And I experienced victory. Because we can call on the one that when he walked into town, all the demons began to scurry. Is today the day you're going to destroy us, Lord? He says, no, not yet. Okay, and they sulk away. They're terrified of him. So you pray out loud, you call out loud on the one that they are terrified of, the one who will destroy them, so they can hear, I am calling on the one you are terrified of. I'm calling on the one who defeated your boss in the wilderness. And I'm calling on the one who destroyed the works of your boss when he was crucified and rose again from the dead. See, because Satan doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross. Because he knows that is my defeat. So just go ahead and jump off this temple. 
I'll try to twist his needs, try to twist his wants, try to twist the truth. And if that doesn't work, maybe I can just twist the timing. Look at Satan's scheme now in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and said to him, I will give you all these things. Look, he gave up on the identity. I attacked him twice on identity, not working. Maybe I just can appeal to his desire for power. I'll give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. You're a king, right, Jesus? King of the Jews? Look at everything I can give you. I can give you every kingdom. You can rule them all now. All you got to do, bow down to me. Man, imagine this conversation. Imagine this moment. The eternal son of God by whom everything was made. They're hearing one of his creatures, a fallen angel, asking him, worship me. Really inviting the eternal son of God. to So Jesus, he is really being tempted to worship the devil. And if he does, your reward will be everything. Other than the obvious blasphemy and idolatry, do you see what Satan is tempting Jesus with? Forget about the inheritance of the father. Forget about what the father is promising to give you after the cross. Skip it. I can give it to you now. I can give you a shortcut. Satan offers you shortcut after shortcut after shortcut. I can give it to you now. Skip the suffering. Don't endure the pain. Forget the will of God. Do your will. Do my will. And all of this, the devil is accusing the father. Go back to the first one. The father isn't feeding you. I told you how you could get food. Are you sure the father wouldn't let you fall to the ground? Let's test it. The Father's going to let you be crucified to get kingdoms? No, I'll give you kingdoms now. And he does the same thing for you and me. This is how God cares for his children, his world. He just wants to hold out on you, that fruit in Eden, those euphoric feelings you could have with that person that isn't your spouse, the happiness you could get from popping or injecting or smoking or drinking. Just do what you want. I'll give you the joy you want now. See, Satan is saying to the Son of God and to all the children of God in this room, I can be a better father to you than God the Father can. Be my son. Be my child. Satan, as Russell Moore says, he isn't even just trying to tempt Jesus. He's trying to adopt Jesus. I can care for you better than the Father can. And he wants you to think the same thing. Don't trust God's timing. Don't trust God's plans. Trust what I offer you. Do what you think is best. I I trust you to make the best decisions. And what does Jesus do? Verse 10. Then Jesus told him, get out of here. Go away, Satan. Go away, accuser. For it is written again, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. What drives Jesus? the word of God, depending on his father and doing the will of his father. What drives you? And what happens after he says this? Verse 11, then the devil left him. The devil has to, he's done, it's over. The son of God said, it's over, scram. And where else have we heard this exact sentence from Jesus? 
Get out of here, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. In Matthew 16, Jesus is telling the disciples, I am going to go to Jerusalem and I am going to be crucified. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and the Bible says, begins to rebuke Jesus. No, Jesus, you're not going to do that. You're a Messiah. You don't go, we don't, Messiahs don't go to Jerusalem to die. They go to reign. You're not going to be crucified. Come on, and what, is, what happens? Jesus looks at Peter and says, not, Peter, you're wrong. But he looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. For you do not have your mind set on the right things. Get behind me. So, so you see that Jesus is always heading towards the cross. That's why he says, hey, get bread now. Don't, don't get bread for people later. Just get it for yourself. Don't offer up bread that will be your body, that will be for others. Jump off this temple. Let's see what happens. Don't go to the cross. You can get kingdoms now. But Jesus says, get out of here because I'm going to the cross. And Jesus will go to the cross at the end of this book. He will be nailed to a Roman cross as someone who withstood temptation his whole life, who never sinned, and who was tempted in every way that every single one of us has been and will be. And he never sinned. And he died in our place as the sinless son of God, taking all of our failures to trust God, all of our failures and temptation, putting all of them on himself so that he could give us a bread to eat, not selfishly turning rocks into stones, but in the Lord's Supper saying, this is my body, this bread for you. And whoever eats this will never hunger again. And as he's pinned to the cross, do you remember what people are yelling to him? What they're accusing him of again? Testing his identity. If you are the son of God, come down from there. Jump off if you are the son of God. And what does Jesus do? He remains because he is the son of God so that you and I could be saved so we wouldn't have to be slaves to sin and temptation and the devil anymore. And when he rises from the dead three days later, what does he say? All authority on heaven and earth is mine. Also meaning, I sit as the king of the universe. See, Satan wanted to offer him those kingdoms. Jesus says, watch the throne. I have them now. And beloved, that's why. That's why you can win the battles you face in spiritual warfare, as we sing. Not I, but through Christ in me. See, Jesus' victory in the wilderness and the cross and the tomb, that is how you will win temptations you face tonight and tomorrow and a year from now. See, this passage is usually taught, quote scripture like Jesus did, and that's right, that's true. Jesus gives us a model. If you're a Christian, we're being discipled by him, we're learning from him. That's what he did, that's what we should do. At the same time, though, don't lose the forest for the trees. Don't lose the passage for the verses. As if you zoom out a little, you see Jesus is fulfilling everything Israel failed in. If you go back to Exodus, after they leave Egypt, they go through the Red Sea, they go through the waters, what happens next? 40 years of being in the wilderness and failing to trust God, succumbing to temptations. What, is, what do we see with Jesus? He goes through the waters, what happens? After his baptism, he goes through the waters and 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. But he stayed true. He succeeded. He succeeded in everywhere that Israel failed and showing you and I that he too is the successor, the victor, the champion in all of the places where you and I fail. 
because everyone in this room, we have failed. We have not trusted God's promises perfectly. We have all given in to sin. We've all given in to Satan. And if you have failed and you know it, believe in the one who did not fail. Believe in the one who conquered sin, Satan, and death for you on that cross and empty tomb. Because when Jesus said, it is written to this ancient accuser, Jesus quoted scripture for you. Not just to teach you how to do it, but he actually did it for you. He withstood temptation, not just to show you how to withstand temptation, but to empower you so that you can withstand temptation too. He won, not just to show you, here's how you can win, but to show you, I won for you. Trust me, walk with me, and you will not be a slave to sin. In fact, you will become a slave to righteousness. And so when that desire to serve yourself, instead of your friend, instead of your family, arises, you can now say, I am crucified with Christ, the one who withstood the evil one, and I can stand with him in righteousness. And when that weed is being offered, or you want to steal another slice of cake when no one's looking, or you want to gossip about that coworker so it'll prop you up and put them down, or even if you just want to test God to turn your bedroom light on, you can endure. And you can walk in Christ-likeness in the wilderness when needs and when weakness arrive. Because God is God. And we trust him. Satan is a liar an accuser, a tempter. He came, he's been a liar from the beginning and he only, come, he only knocks around and comes around to steal or to kill or to destroy. But Christ came so that you may have life, as you may have it abundantly in his cross and in his resurrected body, now and forever. Take your stand, fight the fight and cling to Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.